evening of the retreat <clears throat> and, uh, and I'm sure everyone's minds are going on to tomorrow and the next day and the next week and all that because that's what uh, minds do habitually and you know there's this probably before we before we came on the retreat there's a lot of planning about getting here and then once we're here, I know some people were thinking about going, going back. <laughs> like, oh, when am I going to get home again? And, uh, and now we come to the end of the retreat. <laughs> and uh, almost, not quite at the end. But uh, as we approach the end of the retreat, then we start thinking about what comes next. You know, all of the things that we're going to do when we get home and people we'll see. And, and there's a kind of, you know, a sense of how it's going to be, maybe, in our minds, and and yet for now we're still here. Have another evening here and uh, breakfast together, and uh, some meditation in the morning closure, and then uh, the clean up and meal, and then more cleaning up, and then uh, if people stay long enough, it'd be nice to see you to say goodbye tomorrow. So all of that is still to come, and uh, you know, it's very easy to, to kind of just skip all that in the mind and, and go on to the next thing. You know, we think about, well, okay, it's been a two-week retreat, it's quite a long time, and then now we're, it's almost finished. So it's very easy for the mind just to skip these next steps and to already be out the door, in the car, down the, down the road, opening your front door. I found myself in the meditation seeing the entrance to Aloka Vihara, it's like, oh, going up those steps to Aloka Vihara, oh, nice feeling, you know. So the mind does that. But, um, it's, you know, each, as I've been saying, each moment is, is very precious. Every moment is very precious. And so when we live it in the past or in the future, we're kind of missing it. We're not really here. So just kind of acknowledging that this is what the mind does, it's the habit of the mind. but. The, the training of the mind is to bring it back to this this experience here, what's happening now, and you know maybe part of what's happening now is that the sense of anticipation it can be bodily sense of anticipation of, as to what's coming next, and, or or sadness. I found myself earlier today feeling sitting here thinking, oh, I'm going to miss everyone, you know, I'm going to miss you all because we've been sitting together all this time. And it's you know it'd be different, and not knowing where, where you know, what your how your lives will unfold, and I know there's a few kind of big changes happening for some people, and you know, and then we'll be in retreat, so we won't hear anything from you, and uh, this sense of like oh, I feel a little bit uh, I'm going to miss you, you know, 
And then, of course, that changes, and I start to think about how nice it will be to, to be alone, have a retreat time, and not to have to sit in front of lots of people. You know? <laughs> so it's all the time changing. So, um, what I wanted to speak about, I'm not sure how it all will come, but what I wanted to speak about tonight was to was opening to the mystery, because you can just see how the mind already kind of starts planning and and has a sense of what's going to come next. You know, I have a sense of going up the steps to Loka Vihara and open the door and and the kind of the room that you step into and then the plan that we have for the next couple of months and going on arms round in a couple of days' time. And there's this sense of like, I kind of know what's going to happen. But in reality, I don't know what's going to happen at all. I don't know. And you know, it gives a certain sense of security and, and, and it's a way of functioning also in life to have that kind of assumed knowing that, that things are going to be sort of like they were before. But in truth, we don't really know, do we? No, I don't know. We go back, who knows, there might have been a, an earthquake. There might have been a, There's a lot of building going on, maybe something's happened and we can't get up the steps anymore, you know. We just don't know what's going to happen. And they do say that, and I have noticed it, that uh, karma ripens after a retreat. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> so... Yeah, it could be good karma, it could be bad karma, who knows? But there is a, um, I have heard it said and I have noticed myself that that things start to happen unexpectedly after a retreat. So we've been, we've been spending this time really dedicated to practice. Even if the mind's not been very, very uh, settled, still we've been sitting it out, we've been here, showing up and, and keeping the noble silence, keeping the precepts, staying at least patient, you know, if not uh, focused, concentrated. And then when we have times of intensive practice, then it can ripen our karma. So it's always feels a little bit, um, I was going to say risky, but it's not a risk, but it can feel a little bit, um, feel a bit nervous of like, well, what's going to happen, you know, what's going to come. But if we're, if we're really interested in waking up, then really it doesn't matter too much what comes. We can, we can welcome, uh, open to the mystery of, of the next moment and welcome whatever comes, really. So I know that some people go through very difficult times. I mean, say some people, I'm one of them, you know, can go through very difficult times very challenging times, and then come out the other side of it and come out with, with so much more freedom and understanding and compassion. So, you know, it's like learning to open to whatever this moment brings and you know, to trust that the, the, the challenges that might meet us are, are also a gift gradually, gradually, a moment at a time. The wise remove their impurities as a goldsmith blows away the dross. And, you know, for that goldsmith to be able to work on a gold, it, it takes some heat. 
there's a container and some heat, quite a lot of heat. So you know, if, if things get challenging, you can think of that as the as the heating heating the crucible of gold, so that uh, so that it gets malleable, so that the the dross or the the um, impurities can come to the surface and can be can be blown away. So there's nothing wrong if that if that happens. If things get intense or challenging, there's nothing wrong. So it's just part of the the process, the purification process. And it could be that uh, you know, something really nice ripens, some lovely thing happens that you didn't expect. When we create the future in our minds through planning and you know, can even find yourself planning a conversation you're going to have with somebody and you know, you can get down to real, real details of, of how things are going to be. And then if we, if we think in that way, we're not open to the possibilities kind of limiting the possibilities. So I just would like to encourage this sense of, of opening to the mystery of the next moment. And even to this moment actually, when we're really present. This moment in itself is, if we, when we're with it, is, is constantly revealing the, the mysteries of life. And to just recognize when there's that when the mind tries to make things certain, fixed and certain and, and real and solid. And it certainly feels more safe to do that. But you know, when we do look carefully, we can see that none of it's really solid. And for myself moving to California, I found a sense of, <laughs> strangely enough, a sense of delight in being in a country where there are earthquakes. <laughs> Because you know, in, in England, you kind of say, "Well, it's as solid as, a, as the earth under your feet," and that feels really solid, you know. Whereas here, <laughs> it could kind of fall apart at any moment. You know. and, and not long after we moved into a local there was a there's quite a uh, there was a quite a strong tremor. It's the first or second actually time I'd ever experienced a tremor. And I noticed what what happened was this this there's this experience of of um, what appeared to be solid was no longer solid, just for those moments. And, and the mind, instead of panicking or getting frightened or whatever, it just, it just kind of let go of, of the idea of solidity. And it was actually very peaceful. <laughs> just like, oh, everything's in a flux. You know. oh, that's the truth of it. So it's, that's, what, that's going on all the time. Everything's in a flux all the time. And yet, uh, you know, it, it seems solid and real and safe and dependable and, um, you know, and we, we can organize and so on to some degree. But then there are those uh, wild cards of, of well, earthquakes and sickness and birth and death, you know, all of these things that come in that we can't control, really. So, you know, just, just recognizing when we start limiting our experience through thought, through thinking it into finite, solid outcomes or experiences or things. And just recognizing that that's, you know, on a conventional level it's useful, but in reality 
that's not how life is. It's, it's, it's in a state of flux all the time. And we, we kind of miss that, we, we don't see it because we're always looking at the, well we can, we often we're looking at the new beginnings, at the, you know, what's going to happen and, and we think life into, into nouns, you know, we think everything into things. A bird becomes a thing, you know, but when you look at a bird it's, it's the most amazing process that's going on. It's really, I've been enjoying the birds here, amazing variety of birds. And now this, you know, each one is, you know, even I can go to a book and I can find it in the book where it's there and it's, it's called that and, you know, it looks like that in the winter and that in the summer. I can see that in a book, so it is, it is definable, but in its reality it's, it's an amazing process that's going on. And while I'm with it, I'm part of that process. We are part of a process together, me and the bird. So here we are part of a process together, we're part of a re retreat process, which is coming to its end. And then we'll go off in our different directions and, and new, you know, the process, new processes will begin. And, you know, we don't know where they're going to lead or how they'll look. We don't know if we're going to wake up in the morning, actually. Really. Who knows? You know, this, this precious moment. And I don't want to say this in a, in a morbid way or in a, to bring fear to anyone, but if you think you actually don't know whether, you, whether we're going to wake up in the morning, you know, this might be our last evening on the planet. Then that kind of sense of like, oh yeah, okay, well we've got tonight and then maybe tomorrow we'll do this and I'm going to do that. And that that's sort of irrelevant. And then there's just this precious moment. And everything starts to have more of a brightness, a sharpness. Because it's, you know, who knows how many more of these moments we may have. So the Buddha you know, very strongly recommended uh, contemplation of, of death. And this isn't to bring a sense of morbidity and depression, you know, but it's to sharpen up the, the present moment, to recognize the, the preciousness of this opportunity at this moment to, to come fully into the present and to experience this ever-changing process. And to you know, have enough mindfulness to see how we can influence it. So we're all part of this, and we're all part of this. This retreat has happened through our coming together, through our, through our intentions and actions, you know, in, in coming here. It's made this happen. You know that everything in life has that has that quality. There is a, you know, we can influence what's going on through our intention. So it's not that we can make everything happen or stop happening, but the way we meet it changes how it is. So it changes how it is in our own experience, and it also can change how it is for others. How we meet whatever karma is arising in the moment. So when there's awareness then we can catch the negative 
responses or the resistance or the fear and we can really pay attention to that and see with it, try to let that just stay here, let it just be here and then cease here in the mind, not play itself out. And we can find ways of you know, turning and meeting the experience more openly, with more interest and generosity. So the, one of the very simple teachings that the Buddha gave was to refrain from doing harm, to do good, and to purify the mind. So this is a, it's a very simple framework and it, it basically covers the whole of the teaching. To refrain from doing harm, to actively do good, and to purify the mind through presence, through present awareness, to allow the brightening of the mind to happen through burning up of the unskillful habits, you know, that, that leads to this natural brightening, purif purification of mind. So just you know, in any moment that we have mindfulness, we have that, the, the choice to do that, to hold back on the negative and to bring something positive in or just to stay fully present with what's happening and allow it to go through its process and cease as, as all things do. When there's awareness, this is like, this opens up the opportunity or the possibility to do this, to respond to life in that way of not just following the negative habits and not, and to actually look at how we can manifest more good in the world. So, so needed. You know, and to allow the karma to burn up through staying open and aware, purify the mind. So we've been given the frameworks in the Buddha's given the, the precepts, the five precepts as a container within which to live and that's, if you want to live a happy life, you know, Basically, if you want to live a happy life without remorse, here's a way of doing it. And there's the five precepts. And uh, the Eightfold Path as a, as a path of practice, you know, which, which covers pretty much everything. It's not just about sitting on the cushion, but it's about everything. It's about the way one uses one's mind, one's speech, one's actions, and livelihood, and also the focus and concentration, meditation, practice. So the Eightfold Path is, is covering all of it. You know, this, is, this is what we've been given as a, as a guideline in our life to, to free ourselves from the, the habits that keep us caught in the endless cycle of birth and death, or samsara as it's known. So this is the way out of that endless cycle. And it's through you know, living with integrity and, and clarity and through recognizing the, the constant process. You know, the, we use the word impermanence, but I like the word transience much more actually. Because impermanence gives the sense of there is something that is that's going to end, whereas transience is pointing more to the, the fact that it's, it's constantly, everything is constantly changing which is how things are. 
So in the Noble Eightfold Path, the first fold of that path is, is right intention, which is understanding, understanding that everything is impermanent in a state of flux. And when we begin with that understanding, then kind of everything else takes care of everything in a way. When we understand that this experience that we're having now is, is changing, then there's nothing to hold on to, there's nothing to grasp. and allow life to go through its process. So it's not that we sit back and become a passive observer of life, but you know, life is living through us, it's, it's happening here. But we know, we recognize that it's a, it's a constant changing process, it's a flow. It's like uh, Ice Institute is speaking about the river, it's, like a, it's, a, it's a constant flowing, changing process. And we can direct it to some degree, you know, in terms of you know, not cultivating what is unwholesome and cultivating what is wholesome. One way that we can miss noticing the impermanence of things, of everything, is to not really pay attention to cessation or to endings. And in our society it's very much geared towards new beginnings, new, 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 new you know, get a new this and a new that and you know, there's even an expression in America of it, it gets a bit old. <laughs> I never heard that before but here you say, yeah, it's getting a bit old, you know. And it's like, yeah, he's already, don't even bother thinking about it anymore, he's already getting old. But the, you know, one of the ways of, of recognizing impermanence is to see, is to notice the ending of things, to, to be with the cessation of a mind state, of a breath, of a retreat, of a, a job, of a life, you know, to be with the cessation, to be with the ending. And when we learn to be with the, with the little endings, you know, the little ending of a, at the end of an out-breath, where everything stops for a moment, and we're not quite sure if there's going to be another in-breath, and when we can really allow our mind to set to rest in that place, just for that moment of not knowing, it's, something's ended and, we, and it's not knowing what will happen next, then that you know, gives us the, the strength of mind, really, to open to the greater endings that happen in a lifetime. So then we don't have to fear an ending, because an ending is part of a process unless we're fully enlightened, even the ending of a life is part of a process, it's the beginning of a new adventure. So when we really start to notice that in our daily life, in, in the breath, in the, in the beginning and ending of a day, in the, you know, the ending of a retreat, whatever it might be, when we actually really pay attention to the ending, the cessation, then we don't have to fear anymore. We don't have to fear the endings, we don't have to fear death, because it is just another part of the process. So, inviting you to look at your relationship to cessation and to endings. Is it, is it something that you, you always skip over onto the next thing? Because that's the, the habit of most people, I think, is to just put the next beginning there before the ending has happened. And you can see it even with eating, actually. You get, a, get a spoonful of food and 
have it in your mouth and you're already making the next one up before you've swallowed that one. And it's just the, the, the sort of habit of mind to the next thing, the next thing. So to, you know, to um, take the opportunity, when the, which are here every day, every moment, to also be with the cessation. And to let that teach us and un unravel the, the tensions that happen around holding on to conditions, holding on to ever-changing conditions. And it can only lead to suffering. And everything else is a mystery. So I said, she's just reminding me. Um, so we have a winter retreat every every year, and last year in in Alakuhara we had our retreat. But the last day was was the tsunami in, in Japan, the earthquakes in Japan. And then next morning we woke up. Fortunately, our steward had a her mobile phone, and her brother called her from Thailand to say that there was a tsunami warning for San Francisco and that we better get out of the house. <laughs> we live on 48th Avenue, San Francisco, which is one block back from the beach. It takes us three minutes to get our feet wet in the ocean from our front door. So we got this warning. We kind of know that with a tsunami there's a little bit of time, so we decided, okay, let's, let's get things together. And I said to Chita, she, <laughs> she's a practical one, she, got the, she picked up the address book, she got the, the hard drive, <laughs> and uh, what else was it? The Buddha relics. No, that was me. <laughs> so anyway, she had the practical things. I had the Buddha relics, got the Buddha relics off the shrine, and uh, a few other things. And, and our stewards, Sarah, she got some food for us. And uh, I wrapped the, our beautiful Prajna Paramita, which you can see on the book. I wrapped her up in, in a, a, a comforter in the hope that she might be okay and not get damaged. Because <laughs> it's very beautiful. Oh yes, the tanker. We got we have a beautiful tanker of white tara behind our shrine. So we rolled that up and took that with us. We took all the the most precious things, and we went off uh, into the city with our with our kind of mobile monastery. We were like, <laughs> we could, you know, we could even if even if the house gets demolished, we've got everything we need. You know, <laughs> we could just start somewhere else. It'd be, it'd be okay. You know? So we had that, and we went off on the light rail into this into the city where it's a little bit higher up, and uh, sat in Starbucks and had a cup of coffee. We actually, well, first of all, we went to the neighbours and told them, "Have you heard? There's a tsunami warning." And, and most people weren't interested. We were a bit worried there were some kids next door, and I was like, "The kids should be out." And most people weren't really interested. And, <coughs> and then I did meet one man who had his guitar, and he obviously had all his very precious things with him: his guitar and a little backpack, and he was also evacuating. So anyway, a few of us did. And we went and we sat in this cafe. And that day, somebody was supposed to be offering us um, a meal dana, a, a Thai woman. And she had been to Thailand and had bought some our bikini robes from Thailand. She wanted to offer our robes. So, so there was this kind of problem where, like, well, there's a tsunami warning, so you shouldn't come to the Vihara. And uh, we were talking to her on the mobile phone. It's in Starbucks. And... Um, and then she was sort of, we were trying to work out where we could meet. She still wanted to offer us the meal, and so we were trying to work out a place we could meet. And then time went by, and then after a while, 
it kind of became clear there was no tsunami happening. And she phoned us and said, you know, would you mind going back to the Harris so I can offer them? <laughs> so in the road. So we went back and um, and received this dana, and she offered us our bikini robes. And they were this colour, you know, this colour. And we'd been wearing brown all those years, and as Sunadra, and then... Uh, <laughs> So she came and offered the robes, and I said to Chita, was like, oh, come on. <laughs> because they were so bright, you know. And there was this, um, and then we, anyway, she offered us the robes, and we, we had them by, uh, in front of the Prajnaparamita, and there was this sense of like, oh my goodness, you know, finally going to take a funeral notion, and then we get our robes on the day when there's a tsunami warning, and I just did it, it felt a bit, uh, a bit uh, worrying in some ways. <laughs> so we had them there, we both felt a little bit kind of nervous of these rhymes. Like looking at them like, Ooh. How many days later was it that the books came? Maybe three four days. A few days, just a few days later, the, somebody had also offered us the Vinaya books of the Bikuni order. So that's the, the code of discipline of, of the Bikunis. And so a few days later, those books arrived, and we put them with the robes, and both of us felt like, oh, that's a relief. <laughs> and that was like the, the grounding, that was like the, the way of living. So the robes were the, the bikini robes, and then there was this sense of like, well, we don't really know how to do it. And you know, there's been all of these rumours about how hard it is, and then all the politics around it, and all this. So they, they had this sort of sense of like, oh. But then when we had the, the books of the discipline, it was like, okay, this is the grounding, this is the clarity and the, the way of living. And both of us felt a sense of like, ah, oh, okay, now we can do it. Now we've got those books, we can do it. <laughs> because they, they give the framework within which to, to live. So yeah, karma ripens after a retreat. You know, you never really know what's, what's going to happen. <laughs> we weren't planning all of that. And, and just to say that the, uh, the code of discipline, you know, the five precepts, is, is, a, is a support for whatever happens in your life, whatever's going on, whatever tsunamis might be <laughs> happening. There's that there's a sense of taking care of yourself and others within that uh, kind of code of discipline. So, so I hope uh, everyone survives. <laughs> and if you don't, that you let go. <laughs> and I think oh, that's it for this evening. Sadu, sadu, sadu. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.